Welcome to SLP Money, an in-depth conversation for speech, language pathologists, and private practice owners on how to break through to the next level of your career and business. Join your host, Craig Goldslager, a financial advisor and certified exit planner, as he shares strategies and stories that will help you become more financially confident and better invest your time and money. You can learn more and stay up to date at utterlyfinancial.com. My guest on this episode of SLP Money is Cameron Huddleston, the author of a book titled Mom and Dad, We Need to Talk. Many parents raise their children to position money as a taboo topic that is not discussed with family or friends. Talking about money with our aging parents can be a difficult thing, but it is necessary to do in order to avoid harder situations in the future. If you're fearful of having conversations with your own parents, my conversation with Cameron will help give you the confidence you need to have these tough conversations. We discuss some of the following. Conversation starters to have to break the ice and address why having this conversation is in everyone's best interest. Identifying the different reasons why your parents may not want to have this conversation. A step-by-step approach to having a successful conversation and why it's in everyone's best interest to have these conversations sooner than later. For all show notes and resources discussed, head on over to utterlyfinancial.com forward slash 13. And a few of the resources that we have on the website include checklists on what to do if you experience any issues with aging parents, as well as if you've had a parent pass away, some things that you should be doing or might need to do with their estate. Again, you can find all of this information over at utterlyfinancial.com forward slash 13. And I hope you enjoy our conversation with Cameron Huddleston. Hello, SLP Nation, and welcome to another episode of SLP Money. I'm joined today with Cameron Huddleston, who is an award-winning journalist with more than 18 years of experience writing about personal finance. If her byline sounds familiar, that's because she's appeared in Kiplinger's Personal Finance, Business Insider, The New York Times, and The Chicago Tribune, to name a few. She first became interested in personal finance because she did not want to live paycheck to paycheck or always be worried about money. With no formal education on the topic, she spent more than a decade interviewing countless experts and translating their knowledge into actionable advice for her readers. In 2019, she published her book called Mom and Dad, We Need to Talk, which combines her passion for personal finance along with her personal experiences to share why it's so important to have this difficult money conversation with parents. Cameron is a wife and mother to three young children. And with that introduction, Cameron, welcome to the SLP Money Podcast. Hi, thanks so much for having me. So I'm really excited for our conversation today because you are an expert on two topics that impact nearly every one of our SLP Nation members. Those topics being personal finance and having a challenging conversation about money between parents and children. First, sort of as a starting point, I love your quote that you've referred to several times in your writings, no one cares more about your personal finances than you. Can you share with us a little bit about what inspired you to write about personal finance for a living? (laughs) Well, I I happened to stumble into this field of journalism. It wasn't like I graduated from college with my journalism degree and said, hey, I'm going to write about personal finance. I covered all sorts of things for a while. I covered crime, I covered city government, and then I ended up when I was living in Washington, D.C., writing about business, about actually about junk bonds and convertible securities when I was writing for Dow Jones Newswires. And because I had not taken any of those business courses in college, I was a journalism major. 
I decided, you know what, I'm going to stick with this line of journalism. I really want to focus on business reporting. I should go and get an advanced degree so that I can increase my knowledge. And American University had a master's in journalism program and you could pick a specialty. So I picked economic journalism and took all those classes that I avoided when I was an undergrad. I took the the statistics, the economics, the business classes. And then when I graduated, it was 2001. And I had hopes of writing about the economy, but we, the economy was heading into a downturn. And so couldn't get my job back with Dow Jones. Other places had hiring freezes. Fortunately, Kiplinger's personal finance was looking for an editor for its website and they were willing to take a chance on me. And that's what got me into writing about personal finance. And I'm so glad I did because I've gotten this wonderful education along the way because I've interviewed countless experts on the topic and have learned so much about personal finance and it's helped me with my own finances. This is nothing that I was taught in school. It was something my parents really didn't teach me and because I got access to all these experts, I've learned so much about it and I've learned that, like I said and like you just quoted, I mean, no one cares about your finances as much as you do. So if you're not going to put the effort into learning how to manage your money, it's going to be a struggle for you. It certainly will be. And as our listeners know, speech language pathologists and private practitioners, they don't earn an MBA when they earn either their undergraduate degree or master's degree. And so I frequently, whenever I give lectures or speeches around the country, I always bring up this question in the middle of the conversation has anyone in this room taken at least one business class and maybe one hand goes up in the room, right? It's just something that this profession is not accustomed to learning about. It's so, so many parallels, regardless whether it's journalism, speech pathology, or other professions. If you're not a business or you don't seek this information, it might not be brought up to you directly. So with that being said, what are some of the most frequently asked topics or maybe some of the topics you write most frequently about that you think would provide value to our listeners to dive a little bit deeper if they are not as educated on the topic of personal finance? I think one of the most important things you can do when it comes to your finances is get clear on what your values are. What, and this will help you with your personal finances if you can just hear me out on this. So what, what do you value most? What is important to you? Is it having more time with your family? Is it maybe launching your own business? You know, going from working from someone else to having your own business, being your own boss? Is it retiring early while you still have enough energy to do all the things that you want to do? Figuring out what's most important to you will then make it easier for you to align your financial goals and achieve those goals. So say you want to retire early, okay? You can use that as a reason to spend less and save more. It's really hard to cut back on those things that you enjoy if you don't have this underlying reason to do it. Just, you know, spending less for the sake of spending less is really hard. But if you know that in 10 years, you're not going to have to work anymore because you have this really nice big nest egg that you can count on to allow you to do all those things you want to do in life, aligning your spending with your values, knowing what your values are, makes it so much easier to reach those financial goals. And so this is something I love writing about. This is something that really wasn't brought to my attention until I was already writing about personal finance for several years. And so I would say this is one of my favorite topics when it comes to personal finance. I'm so happy that you brought that up because I'm always so 
excited when I talk to people who don't have the background of personal finance because they often want to talk about the quantitative figures. How do I save $1 million? How do I save $500,000 or get to some number, some goal? But I'm happy you addressed all the qualitative aspects. What do you want out of life? What are you trying to accomplish with your life? You mentioned several topics, early retirement, starting a business, saving for a child's education, right? I think identifying and aligning your personal values all happens later with money because there's a huge distinction between money decisions and personal financial decisions, right? Money are those qualitative desires that you have, like you mentioned, early retirement, whereas the quantitative numbers and doing the spreadsheet math and figuring out the calculations, yes, that's important, but that comes secondary to actually identifying what your true goals are. Right. And it's, it's easier to save that million dollars to save, you know, to look at those numbers on that spreadsheet and have a reason to maybe make some of those sacrifices. If you know what your values are and you align those savings goals with those values, it is so much of money has to do with our mindset. It's not just dollars and cents. It's how you think about those dollars and cents and those sort of things can hamper you or help you along your way to achieving your goals. If you can really figure out what you want, what's holding you back. So yeah, I love that aspect of personal finance. That's what makes it personal, right? Right. And that's oftentimes people will share with me, whether it's people just sending us an email to learn more about our firm or when I give lectures to graduate students around the country, the same kind of topics. Well, how much do I need to save for retirement? And then sometimes people say it's rude to answer a question with a question, but oftentimes I have to say, well, when do you want to retire? And then I'll get this glazed over look and they'll look at me like I have three heads and I'll say, well, do you want to retire? As you mentioned, in 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, I, I don't know, but we can help put you on the path to accomplish whatever you want in life. So again, it really comes down to that personal aspect and it's just so important. I find it fascinating that you know, you've been doing it for almost two decades now, but I'm sure there's no shortage of topics or stories that you hear to help reinforce the importance of personal planning. Exactly. Yes. So with that being said, I want to jump to your second topic of expertise and about the book that you wrote, Mom and Dad, We Need to Talk, and how to have these essential conversations with parents about money. And in the pre-recording, I was joking with you a little bit where I said that people don't really usually seek out a financial plan. They don't wake up in the morning and say, oh, wow, honey, let's straighten out our finances today. Usually there's some type of underlying issue or triggering event where it's a job loss or they find out a child is on the way or some other event in their life that wants them to spur and take action. Can you share with us what led you to write a book about such a specific topic, such as having the money conversation with parents? Right. Because who wakes up and says, I want to talk to mom and dad today about their money. It's such a taboo topic. Who in the world would want to do that? I wrote the book because of my own experience with my parents. My father died at the age of 61 without a will. And what was truly shocking was that he was an attorney. Someone you would assume would have taken care of that very important step in an estate plan. He was in a second marriage. And so that complicated things. If you don't have your final wishes down on paper, you know, in a legal document, your family's going to have to sort things out. And sometimes family can end up in court battling out over who gets what. That did not happen with, with my family, fortunately, but it was still awkward. And that could have been avoided if my dad had simply taken the time 
to write a will. And then when my mother was 65, she was diagnosed with Alzheimer's disease. I was 35 and found myself in a position where I had to start getting involved to help her with her finances. And we had not had those detailed conversations. And it's embarrassing for me to admit that. And I do admit it in my book because I had been a financial journalist for many years at that point, but it wasn't a conversation I realized I needed to have with my mom. And so as her disease progressed and I was getting more involved with her finances, I had already had this experience. I was, you know, pretty young at 35 to have to you know, start helping a parent out with finances because of my mom's young age when she was diagnosed with Alzheimer's. And, you know, that opened my eyes to the need for this sort of advice. People don't know how to have this conversation. They don't realize they need to have it. And I wanted to write a book that made people realize this is important. This is a conversation you need to have. Let me help you get over your fears of having the conversation. Let me tell you what to ask. Let me tell you how to do it. Without it being so awkward, let me tell you what you need to ask and let me offer you some hope if your parents are reluctant to talk to you, ways that you can get through to them. So great. And thank you so much for sharing that with us. Oftentimes on the show, we try and reference as many personal examples or stories as we can, because I think most people learn well through these stories and they hear what others had to go through. And as you mentioned, your father, who is an attorney or was an attorney by profession, you can't take things for granted and think that just because they're in this line of profession that they have this type of document or they have these essential things done. Everyone's busy, especially in 2020. Everyone's moving 80 miles an hour. There's all these different things going on. It's really hard to stay either organized or on top of everything. And so really important to know that, that things can be prevented. Sometimes we can't control events, but we can mitigate the consequences that can happen. This is a, a wonderful example. So thank you for sharing that with all of us. I was just going to add, you know, anyone who thinks their parents are on top of their finances and they don't need to have this conversation. I mean, my dad's a perfect example. So it, all you have to do is look at some statistics and studies to show that most adults have not done financial planning. They haven't saved enough for retirement. They don't have a will. They don't have essential legal documents that are going to allow you to step in and get involved with their finances if you have to. Absolutely. And you mentioned something really interesting earlier where the topic of money is one of the few taboos left in society. Why do you think it is that some parents are apprehensive or reluctant to have these conversations with their children? There are several reasons. For starters, if your parents are older, and by older, I mean 60s, 70s, 80s, they likely were raised by their parents to believe that money is a taboo topic. I know my dad certainly was. He always told us, you don't talk about money. It's not polite. And so if they believe that way, of course, it's going to be a bit more of a challenge to have this conversation. Your parents might be embarrassed to talk to you because maybe they haven't handled their finances well. Maybe they are heading into retirement or in retirement already and are worried about how they're going to keep themselves afloat financially. They might be afraid to have the conversation because it brings up thoughts about death and aging, which a lot of people are, are uncomfortable discussing. So there are plenty of reasons why your parents might be reluctant to have this conversation. And I would encourage you before you even try to talk to them to think about why they might be reluctant. If you can pinpoint a reason or a couple of reasons, that can help you tailor the conversation because you don't want to, if you know your parents are afraid of death, for example, 
to make the conversation about dying. You want to take a different approach. If they think money is a taboo topic, then you're not going to start by asking them about money, maybe a bigger picture issue like retirement. Hey, mom and dad, how's retirement going for you? Are you able to do everything that you wanted to do? Just keep it very general. Identifying why they might be afraid is going to help, help you take the right approach to starting the conversation. It's so great to hear all these different reasons why parents might be afraid to even have that conversation. Can you share a little bit about maybe finding some allies, whether it's a sibling or some other family member or trusted resource to help maybe in the brainstorming process or coming up with strategies to start the conversation? Sure. So I do think it's very important if you have siblings to talk to them before you even try to talk to mom or dad, because you want to get on the same page with your siblings. You don't want your brother or sister to think you're going behind their back, maybe to get in mom and dad's favor and get more from them so that they're going to write you into the will and leave brother and sister out. You don't want your siblings to be suspicious. You don't want them to be resentful. So you want to let them know, hey, I think we need to talk to mom and dad about their finances. I think we need to decide whether it's going to be all of us or just one of us. We should pick a good time when we want to have this conversation, figure out how we're going to do it, how we want to start the conversation. If you can all get on the same page, it's going to make it easier. Now, I know not all siblings get along. And so when you asked to have this meeting with your siblings, you want to make it very clear. Look, I want to have this conversation because we need to look out for mom and dad. That's our goal here to figure out what's best for them. And I know we might have different opinions, but we have to remember we're doing this for mom and dad. So make that very clear so that in case sibling rivalry does crop up, that you always bring the conversation back to mom and dad and doing what's best for them. So ideally you get on the same page with your siblings. If you are an only child, or if you know that mom and dad are going to be reluctant to talk to you, it might be a good idea to talk to an aunt or an uncle, a family friend, because sometimes parents can be more willing to talk to someone their own age. And they might not like the idea of the kids coming to them and saying, hey, mom and dad, I'd like to get some information from you about your finances. Talking to that family friend and saying, hey, Sarah, look, I know that you've done a lot of planning with your finances. I would love it if you could tell mom and dad how that has helped and how you've had conversations with your kids and how that's helped with your planning. They might be much more open to hearing that from a friend, another family member, even a financial professional, an attorney, even the family doctor saying, hey, it would be a good idea to have some conversations with your kids just so you guys can plan and make sure things are in place as you age. Because coming from the kid, even though you're an adult now, they might still think of you as that teenager who snuck out late at night and didn't listen to them. So the last thing they want to do is get financial advice from you. Right. And you brought up the story of your mother. And again, that was one of the reasons why this book was written. What are some of the easier ways to sell this to your parents or bring this conversation up to them where you're sitting on the same side of the table as them. Sure. So an easy way to start the conversation is to ask about those what if scenarios. And you don't even have to be all that specific. You can say something like, what if something were to happen to you and you were in the hospital and I needed to make sure your bills were being paid while you were in the hospital. How would that happen? You know, what is in place? Do you have 
automatic bill pay? Are you writing bills by check? Have you named a power of attorney, someone who can make financial decisions for you if you can't? I have a friend who did this. She asked her mom, what if something happened to you? And her mother said, I'm so glad you asked that because I never even thought about it. She went home and made a list of all of her bills and how she paid the bills and how she accessed them and how her daughter could access her accounts if she needed to. And it was as simple as that. You could use current events. I mean, right now we have a current event that offers a great opportunity and an urgency for having these conversations. Mom and dad, this pandemic really has me worried. I've been trying to do things to make sure things are in place. If something were to happen to me, I would just love to know what sort of planning you've done. And if something were to happen to you, how would I be able to help you out? Use the pandemic to start the conversation. You could use a story maybe about a friend of yours whose parent passed away without a will and how difficult it was for the family members who were left behind. You could talk about a friend who had to stop working to care for a parent who had dementia. There are lots of different ways to start the conversation. The one thing that you want to make sure though when you're having these conversations is to be respectful when you're talking to your parents. Let them know that you're looking out for their best wishes. You could say something like, hey, you took such great care of me. I wanna be able to do the same for you if you ever need help. When you're older in order to do that though i need to get some information i'm not trying to pry i understand this is uncomfortable it's uncomfortable for me too but it's going to be a lot more uncomfortable if something were to happen and i didn't have the legal right to make financial decisions for you i didn't have the legal right to make healthcare decisions for you if we can hammer some things out now we can make a plan it's going to be a lot easier down the road. And hopefully we never have to put this plan into action. And I was just thinking again, along the lines of if you do have siblings, or even if you're an only child and you have cousins or other potential beneficiaries or recipients of money or gifts from your parents, just thinking along the lines of that mom and dad, we don't want any strife. We don't, you're just positioning it as a way to help the siblings or other decision makers, right? What if it's, if you're an only child even, and your aunt or your uncle have to step in and try and make a decision and there is no healthcare proxy and there's nobody to actually dictate what should happen. You see things in the news. I've had clients that have had to experience these, I want to call them impossible conversations. There's no right, there's no wrong. And because there wasn't planning done or a conversation had, it places those who are left behind to sort out a really difficult thing. Exactly. And I think it's really important when you have these conversations to point out to your parents that you are in no way trying to take control for them. It's important to highlight that by planning and having these conversations, they, they get to stay in the driver's seat. They get to have more control because if they meet with an attorney while they are healthy and mentally competent, they can have a will drafted that's going to spell out who gets what when they die. Because without that will, state law will decide. They get to name a power of attorney, someone to make financial decisions for them if they can't. They get to draft a living will that's going to spell out what sort of end-of-life care they do or do not want. And they can name a healthcare proxy to make medical decisions for them. And you want to let your parents know by taking these steps, they get to decide. They get to decide who gets what. They get to decide who makes financial decisions for them. If they can't, they get to decide who makes healthcare decisions for them. If they don't have these documents in place and something were to happen, 
then family members or other people will have to go to court to be named a conservator or guardian. That can be expensive, that can be time consuming, and it might not be the person they want making their financial and healthcare decisions who steps up and says, hey, I want to do this. Absolutely. And I think it's important for the listeners to maybe get a little financially motivated to have this conversation with your parents. Cameron, you're talking about something really important where if the state has to intervene because there's no documents in place, that's a process called probate. And we have many clients and friends that are estate planning attorneys. And oftentimes they'll say to me that some of the best cases they get to work are the ones that go to probate because they have a standard fixed rate at what they can charge the estate to have that process go through probate. So that can be anywhere from two to 3% of the estate value. Conversely, if you do your documents and you have trusts and wills and everything directed the way you want, sort of a one-time fee or a one-time price, and then your wishes get carried out. So to add a little financial motivation to this conversation, that can save any potential inheritance or thousands, tens of thousands, even hundreds of thousands of dollars. Exactly. There was a man I interviewed for my book who had not been named his dad's power of attorney before his dad was diagnosed with Alzheimer's disease. And once his dad ended up in the emergency room and then a nursing home for rehabilitation, his dad, his, the man I interviewed had to go through the court process to become his dad's conservator to make financial transactions and decisions for him. It took him nine months and $10,000 to do that. And he also was having to pay his dad's bills, his nursing home bills out of pocket until he had access to his dad's bank account to pay those bills. I mean, how many people have $10,000, $20,000 sitting around to do this? Parents can spend $1,000 to meet with an attorney and have these documents drafted and it saves you, the child, a lot of money. We talked a little bit earlier about why it's so important to be proactive and some of the negatives that occur. If you don't plan and you don't do this, well, you're still gonna have to deal with it. The check never goes next to the checkbox on the list. At some point, you'll have to address the issue. Exactly, and it's better to have a plan. <laughs> and it makes it, a lot, it makes it a lot easier. You know, and I would certainly caution though people when you wanna have these conversations, and you're wanting to point out to your parents the benefit of having the state planning documents, you don't want to say, hey, mom and dad, do you have a will? You know, I want to make sure, you know, am I in it? That doesn't matter. You know, the question, it doesn't matter what you're getting, whether you're in the will. It's just, do you have something in writing? Because we need to know what your wishes are at the time you die. We don't even need to know what those wishes are right now. We just need to know that there's something in writing so that there's no question. And who is the attorney? Do you have it in a safety deposit box or in a, a virtual copy? Where, where can we access it right. if we need it? Right. Because it's not going to do anyone good if you can't find it. So yes, where are the documents <laughs> right. and how can we access them? So one interesting chapter and another one, because there, I have a personal story to share with you about this. So as our parents age, there's been a surge in America with elder crime and scammers trying to take advantage of people. Maybe they don't have full cognitive decline, but they're not as sharp as they once were, but it might not even be that is the case. So for instance, a personal story, my older brother, he received a very nervous phone call from one of our grandmothers one day, and she was in her late 80s at this time, but still very mentally sharp, still very with it. And she received a phone call from a person posing as my brother. 
this person was very convincing. He had information about my brother, the way information can be accessed these days. He had an address. He knew specific things. But what was so important, and we're so thankful that my grandmother was cognizant and mentally with it at this time, because right before she was going to wire money, the scammer had said that he'd been arrested for some minor incident, but he needed a wire in order to post bail to get out of jail. And so most grandparents will do anything for their grandchildren. But right before the ending of the conversation, he said, okay, thanks so much, grandma, that that's going to really help the situation. Well, we didn't call our grandma, grandma, we called her nanny. And so she knew right away that no grandchild and she had several grandchildren, nobody calls me grandma. So she knew right away and she hung up the phone and then she called my brother right away and said, look, I just want to make sure this wasn't you. And of course it wasn't him, but we were very fortunate that she had that. Can you share a little bit about just from your research about these surges in elder crime and how sophisticated some of these nefarious people are for trying to take advantage of the older generations? I tell you that grandparent scam is one of the more common ones and, and catches a lot of people off guard because you're right, grandparents will do anything to help their grandkids. And I'm so glad that the scammer gave himself away by calling her by the wrong name. It is so important to talk to your aging parents about scams. The goal here is not necessarily to scare them, to say, hey, you're old and that's why scammers are going to take advantage of you. You don't want to point that out. You want to point out that scammers are everywhere. And that one of the reasons they target older adults is because they think that they have easy access to cash, whether it's through that regular social security check or a big retirement savings account. And so that's why scammers prey on older adults. They think they're easy access to cash. Now, there are other reasons too, but you don't want to necessarily point out to your parents that scammers might target them because your financial decision-making ability declines as you age. Focus on the fact that they just see them as an easy source of cash. And I would point out to your parents the red flags of scams, like a request to wire money, like a call from a government agency. You know, let your parents know, hey, mom and dad, I just got one of those calls from someone claiming to be with the IRS. They said they're auditing me and that I'm going to have to pay some money to avoid getting in trouble. You know, did you know that this is a common scam, mom and dad? The IRS doesn't call taxpayers. Social Security Administration, Medicare, they won't call you. They're going to communicate with you by mail. So if you get a call from someone claiming to be with a government agency and they ask you to send in money, it's a scam. If you get someone calling you or emailing you, pressuring you to make a decision about an investment, any sort of a high pressure sales tactic, you have to ask fast. You have to act now. That's likely a scam. You know, watch out for people who are reaching out to you through social media saying that they're looking for love and they saw your picture on Facebook and they think that you're attractive and they know that you're a widow now. <laughs> they want to date you and they want to meet up with you. And then they start asking for money. Alerting your parents to those red flags is a good way to start the conversation, continue the conversation, using yourself as an example, an article you read, something you heard on TV about a scam is a good way to start the conversation. You know, and then encouraging them to take steps to monitor their finances, you could offer to help them get their credit report from annualcreditreport.com. You could help them set up credit monitoring. There are free services, Credit Karma, Credit Sesame. 
just so they can get notifications when there's something unusual on their credit report. You could offer to help them get on do not call list. You can, lots of steps that you can do. I outline them in my book to help protect them and just make it, I wouldn't say every time you talk to your parents, you bring up the topic of scammers. You don't want to worry them too much, but you know, certainly when you read something, forwarding them an article you read about the latest scam or bringing it up casually in a conversation, just so that it's a reminder to them that they need to be on the lookout for these things. Yeah. It's just a lot of these suggestions are so helpful. And again, the book, mom and dad, we need to talk. And it's just such an empowering book. It really gives you step-by-step. One of the chapters I know is a step-by-step process, how to begin the conversation, how to start the conversation. And there are all these other strategies and tactics to have the conversation. Again, it's a topic that needs to be discussed. It's in your best interest to have this conversation with parents, grandparents. You know, most people are very nervous or uncomfortable when they go through something for the first time. And it's challenging when you don't know what to say and you're not going to have a script. You're not going to write down on a piece of paper and have a prepared remarks to have this conversation, but practice it. You do some role plays. You have this conversation with that trusted person or a sibling. And there's so many good resources in the book. One thing that I think would be helpful as we start to wrap up a little bit here, can you share one of the success stories from the book to share the success and the empowerment that they felt? Sure. So I can think of a couple examples actually from the book. One of the ones that I mentioned is a young woman named Becky and they had a family friend. Her family had a friend that passed away and she was telling me she noticed how easy things were for the woman's family members who were left behind because she planned so well. And because she noticed this, it prompted her to say something to her own parents. She said, I'd love to find out what sort of planning you've done, just having watch a family friend pass away and how much her planning helped her family. And her parents said to her, oh, you know, what, what, are you just waiting for us to die? You know, why are you asking about this? They were caught off guard a little bit. And she's like, no, of course not. You know, I just want to know what sort of planning you've done. And they, they kind of brushed her off a little bit saying, oh, you don't have to worry about this. Don't worry about it. We've got it taken care of. Well, actually about a month or so later, her parents told her, well, we met with the attorney and we updated our documents and we want you to know that we've named you the executor of our estate. And this is how we're going to divide things up between you and your siblings. And so even though when she brought up the topic initially and her parents kind of brushed it aside, it sunk in and it prompted them to take action and they did something and they got back to her. You know, she felt awkward about having the conversation, but it worked out for the best. Now, there was another woman I interviewed for my book and her mother was, she had not been managing her finances well. And the woman I interviewed had made several attempts to talk to her mom about her financial situation. She was really worried that as her mom got older, she would likely have to get involved and help support her mother financially. So she was trying to find out what she could. And she found after trying several different things, that really the best approach was to offer her mom help. Her mom didn't seem willing to share details about her finances, but when she came to her mother and said, hey, let's take this course together. And it was actually one of uh, Dave Ramsey's courses. So she offered to do it together with her mom. And after they had been to several of the meetings, her mother had a bit of a breakdown and admitted to her daughter that she was having a lot of trouble, that her her home was in foreclosure and that opened the doors 
to having more conversations. She knows you know, her mother can still be reluctant, but by offering assistance, offering help and saying, hey, let's do this together, that opened the doors to more conversations. And I think that's just two perfect examples to summarize many of the topics we've talked about already. When you're talking about Becky and you know, her parents, maybe they were planning to actually go revise their documents with the attorney a month after they had the conversation. But chances are that that was the trigger event that caused her parents to take direct action just because she dialed up the courage to have the difficult conversation. And fortunately, they took action. Same with the second person in that story. So oftentimes, like I mentioned at the beginning of our episode today, there are these trigger events in life that cause people to take action immediately. And this is a perfect example where two people controlled their own destiny, right? And were able to get their parents in a better situation, which directly impacts their own situations. I would just add that, you know, if you're waiting though for that, that moment to happen that says this is the time to have the conversation, you don't want to wait. You don't want to wait until there's the emergency. You don't want to wait until there's a crisis that forces you to have the conversation. The best time to have it is when your parents are relatively young and when they're healthy and when emotions are not running high, when you can have the conversation calmly when there isn't a sense of urgency for having it. It's probably not the best time to do it around the Thanksgiving dinner table, right? (laughs) Right, exactly, because there could be other people there who don't need to be a part of the conversation. It's all part of the plan. You figure out a good time, maybe when you're, if you're all live in different places, maybe when your siblings will be around or with technology the way it is, you set up a conference call or a video conference call and you just, you figure out a time, you have a strategy and you implement just like many of the different topics we've talked about in life so far. So one really interesting topic that I think will bring us home is I mentioned in your introduction that you are a mother to three. I am a father to two little ones. And I would love to know what you and your husband are doing to start breaking this taboo. Are you doing anything in the house to have the topic of money brought up to your children and just getting them more acclimated to the complexities of personal finance and some of the things that lie ahead for them? We talk about money in our house all the time. So not only am I a personal finance journalist, my husband is an economics professor. And so my kids have gotten an earful since the time they were little. And they're now, they now range in age from eight to almost 16. So my daughters who are my two older children, the almost 16 year old and the almost 14 year old, I feel like they have a really strong foundation when it comes to personal finance. They have, they get allowance. They have an opportunity to make decisions about how they're going to spend and save their money. My son who's eight, he also gets an allowance. We talk about our money values and how we choose to spend our money. So when the kids say, I want this, why can't I have this? My friends have this. We have the conversation about how we choose to spend our money and how if we bought them everything they wanted, then we couldn't do fun things like take a trip. And hey, guys, don't you love those trips? We have a lot of great memories from our trips. If we spend all of our money on toys, we could never go anywhere. You could be stuck at home playing with your toys, but that gets boring after a while. So as, as we all know over the last several months, <laughs> <laughs> no, no kidding. Yes. Now the conversation in our house is, can we have a pool? Can we please have a pool? <laughs> right. um, but you know, so it's, it's not a taboo topic in our family. I was raised by parents who didn't talk about money. And I feel like that put me at a disadvantage when I was an adult and had to make those decisions 
and didn't have a good background in making financial decisions. I don't want my kids to head into adulthood without having a solid understanding of how to manage their money wisely. This is just another great lesson to learn. So we're all about taking action here on the SLP Money Podcast. We want to leave you, the listeners, with three action items. For me, action item number one is there is no perfect time to have this conversation. So you need to have some proactive planning involved and really come up with a game plan to have this conversation with mom or dad or both parents. Number two, if you're apprehensive about having the conversation or you don't really know where to start, think about your allies that you have and think about the story that we talked about, Becky, a little bit earlier in the conversation where she had some courage, she ran some ideas by a colleague of hers, and she saw the success that her friend had. So she tried to implement the same steps that she did. And lo and behold, her parents went and had action taken by going to see an attorney a month later. So maybe it's if you're an only child, or if you have a broken relationship with siblings, there have to be some trusted contacts in your life that you can open up to or try and emulate and have this success with. And number three, if those reasons aren't enough, one topic I'll reiterate again is that there is financial repercussions for not having this action being taken. Not only is the cost of healthcare facilities, nursing homes, I know a lot of our listeners work in SNFs, you know how expensive they can be. It's really important that one, if your parents don't take control of their finances, somebody else will have to, and most likely the first line is the children. And second of all, without having the proper planning done, we talked about the probate process and how expensive it can be for states to step in and intervene. It can cost, again, thousands or tens, or depending on the size of the estate, hundreds of thousands of dollars to do something that could have been prevented by getting some basic documents completed with an estate planning attorney. So before we conclude, Cameron, any final words or last bits of advice, either on personal finance or the topic of speaking to mom and dad? Well, I think your three action steps summed it up great. (laughs) Don't wait. It's okay to reach out and get support from other family members or friends when having this conversation. And yes, if you don't have this conversation, it will impact your finances. Because like you said, if your parents need care, they're likely going to rely on you and you're going to be the one who has to deal with whatever it is they leave behind when they die, as, as difficult as that might sound. So don't wait to have these conversations. As awkward as they might seem, honestly, the consequences of not having them really can be much worse. Absolutely. And once again, for the listeners, the name of the book is Mom and Dad, We Need to Talk, How to Have Essential Conversations with Your Parents About Their Finances. Cameron, thank you again for taking the time to speak with us today. And to all the listeners, thank you so much for tuning in today. And we'll catch you on the next episode of SLP Money. You've been listening to SLP Money, hosted by Craig Goldslager. Want even more ideas on how to make smart financial decisions? Head on over to the Learning Center at utterlyfinancial.com, where you'll find more information for SLPs and private practice owners. While there, you can also schedule a complimentary 30-minute consultation with Craig. If you've enjoyed the show, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, which will help more people discover SLP money. Thanks so much for listening. Materials discussed is for general and informational purposes only and is not to be construed as tax, legal, or investing advice.
While the information has been gathered from sources believed to be reliable, please note that individuals' situations may vary. Therefore, the information should be relied upon only when coordinated with individual and professional advice. Craig Goldslager is a registered representative and financial advisor of Park Avenue Securities, LLC, PAS, OSJ, 2 South Biscayne Boulevard, Suite 1740, Miami, Florida, 33131, 305-371-6333. Securities, products, and financial services offered through PAS, member FINRA, SIPC, financial representative of the Guardian Life Insurance Company of America, New York, New York. PAS is a wholly owned subsidiary of Guardian. Utterly Financial is not an affiliate or subsidiary of PAS or Guardian. Craig Goldslager does not maintain specialized licenses or qualifications for the financial services provided to speech-language pathologists and private practice professionals. California Insurance License 0K78754-2020-10583. Expiration 07-2022.